Hello, listeners. You're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sarah Cho. And Sam Collier. And today we are talking about play titles. So titles we love, titles we are unenthusiastic about or um, (laughs) just don't like. And what goes into coming up with titles? How do we think of titles? At what point in the process do we choose them? What makes a good title? Etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think title, play titles are so important um, mm-hmm. because it's the first thing that your audience or the reader will see before they actually jump into the play. Yeah. Um, and it could really change whether they decide to go see the play or not. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I Would you say that, and maybe we'll get into this later, but titles is purely marketing (laughs) I think yeah I think it's a big part marketing but I also think that um beyond marketing a title can be a lens through which you see the play and so it can set you up with certain expectations um Mm -hmm. and kind of guide you especially in the first few moments of encountering a play it can give you a signal about whether for example this is a comedy or a tragedy or you know whether you should laugh right at the beginning or um especially with new plays where we may not have a lot of information about them Mm -hmm. Uh, I think a really edgy title you know a really unusual title will set you up to watch the opening moments differently um than a title that's just like a noun like rain or whatever you know right um that doesn't really give you very much information to go on so Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's a car alarm on oh it's not (laughs) oh so sarah should we start with titles we like yes sorry guys i'm all closing my window (laughs) (laughs) okay plays that we like or at least titles. Or titles, sorry. Titles that we like. Doesn't necessarily we like a play. Um, yes. So, so there's a couple titles that I really like, even though I haven't seen these plays, um, which makes me feel like I need to go out and see them or read them. But um, there's a couple titles that I have encountered over and over again by Gina Gianfrido. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. Um Rapture, Blister, Burn, and Revolt, She Said, Revolt Again. Um, Again, I haven't seen those plays, um, but I've seen those titles so many times that I really would like to see those plays. And the the titles make me curious about the plays. Mm -hmm. Um, And... And I think you picked those plays, the titles specifically because of the punctuations. Yeah. Too. And I know you mentioned about plays, uh, titles, and the rhythm of them. Yeah, I really love the rhythm of a title. I mean, I love it when a title has some kind of interesting rhythm to it or forward momentum. And I find it also really interesting when there's punctuation in a title. Um, Just because I think it signals that the playwright is thinking about language. in a way that interests me 
And it's unusual to have a period in a title. So when I see that, I'm like, ooh, something different is happening here. Um, mm-hmm. But but the, there's a particular rhythm I became enamored with in titles years ago um, when I read the book. I think it's a collection of stories, if I recall, by Stephen Milhauser um, called Dangerous Laughter. And I really love the rhythm of that. And for a while, I was trying to come up with titles that followed that da-da-da-da-da or da-da-da-da rhythm. Um, and then I kind of went on to something else, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in rhythm. Rhythm. What about you? What do you like in a title? Um, I like the, the visual element of a title that kind of, as soon as I read it, I'm like, I could just sort of see it. Mm Um, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of. Wow, this is the only thing I'm thinking right now. Again, uh, Barry Child. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Like, oh, Barry Child. You know, yeah. Like, already. It gives you a sense. And especially in the title, a tone, too. Like, tone, tone and visual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is kind of a creepy title. And what's what does a, a child Barry look like? You know? And so um, something like that. Uh, and I there's a contradiction the there, right? Like, buried makes you think of old dead people at the end of their life. And then child mm. is the opposite of that. And so there's immediately a question. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's something about a play title that makes me, what did you say? Like question. I'm like, hmm, the cur- like piques my curiosity. There's something mm-hmm. there that I'm like, okay, I want to know more of this. Um, and so, yeah, that's like, like I said, it's the first thing that we encounter as an audience or a reader. So it should draw me to mm-hmm. like want to know more of it. Um, yeah. I see. Yeah, I love ones I can picture an image. Like Tennessee Williams, I think, has some really good titles in that vein, like Summer and Smoke, which is also good sound-wise. I just love the sound of that. Um, and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Also good for rhythm and an, a clear image that makes me curious. Um. <laughs> Streetcar yeah. Named Desire. Streetcar yeah. Named Desire. What a great title. I don't know why Streetcar Named Desire seems funny to me, even though it's not really a funny play. <laughs> yeah, it is a funny title. Well, and I think also something happens with plays that we have gotten used to that. Um, or even I found myself thinking the other day about the, the, the title Sesame Street, which like I, I encountered when I was so young that it was just a bunch of sounds, like it didn't mean anything. Uh-huh. But like now when you think about it, oh, if I were to see that for the first time, Sesame Street, like I would think about it in a different way. Mm. Um, and I think it's same with Streetcar Named Desire where – if we're already familiar, so familiar with the play or it's become a kind of mm. um, part of the culture, then we're in a way we're not able to really think about that title as if we were encountering only the title for the first time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I just thought of a title. It's a movie title where 
I'm when it came out, I was really baffled for some reason. And then how it became a huge hit. Mm-hmm. It's just it's Nicholas Sparks' book, The Notebook. Oh God, I hated that movie. I know it's, it's horrible. Made me it's so horrible. unpopular. People it's love horrible. that movie, but I know. Oh, you didn't it, like it either. I, I didn't like it either. I mean, well, it it depends. It depends. <laughs> like, it, 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 like when you're a very uh, hormonal teenager. And then I was just like, oh, wow, Ryan Gosling's hot bod. Oh, my God. Um, I was just barfing the whole time in my <laughs> head. But the thing is, I was just like thinking, okay, here, here's a title, The Notebook, where the, the, the popularity sort of transcends. And then just like, it, in, the, in a way, the author sort of changed the, like, I would never, I'm like, if I'm walking down the aisle, like, saw The Notebook, I'm like, I'll never watch this. <laughs> And yeah. I feel like for some reason, the, the the movie and the popularity and the, how the popular culture like perceived it and everything and changed. And then I remember I was like, oh, the notebook, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it, it's to say that you as an author, writer, you could make us uh, change our idea or view about titles, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? That's true. Yeah, if, if yeah. the work is... Uh, well, this is obviously not. It's not. It's not the, with this movie. But if the work is good enough, you can make us um, see a boring title in a different way. Is that what yes. you're saying? Yes. Yes. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like. I'm oh. trying to think of. I'm trying to think of other examples like that. Um, mm-hmm. Where. I don't know. Well, we can come back to our favorites, so we can move on to our least favorite titles. Okay, good, good. Okay, and then we could come back. Um, but so, least favorite titles. Uh, <laughs> I wrote here that I really dislike one word, one to two syllable play titles, uh, and I think the main reason is because of minimalism during this time. Like, I think minimal something. <laughs> No, because it's like, oh, yeah. it's so plain. It's so easy to say, you know, when you're amongst your friends, like, oh, have you seen um, X? <laughs> you're like, oh, mm-hmm. X. I want to see X, you know, like, um, so it's so, I could see that, right? But, but man, when it, when I, if I just look at a roster of titles and I constantly see that, but then, right. And then there are playwrights who are like, okay, I'm reacting against this. I'm going to write a long ass title. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> a really, like, really long title. Really, really long title. Like really, really long. And I'm like, okay. Um, it's taking up every, the whole space. But I love nothing that wrong. though. I love like I an outrageously long title because I'm just like, yeah, you take up that space, you know, <laughs> oh, make them put the whole thing in their subject line of their email that they're sending out to subscribers that's selfish i love it because i can i could just imagine like the designer that like okay cool i'm i have to create this pamphlet or this like (laughs) brochure of like all the plays and like okay i guess i'll try to figure this out Mm -hmm. it's good it's good to challenge people is it (laughs) <laughs> okay so what are some examples of like one word titles that you don't like what well, i think it's interesting that you d- specifically dislike one word two syllable titles one what why one, do you think i said one two sorry it's like oh, one, two, oh, two, one two. to two. Oh, oh, okay got it yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah yeah because sometimes it's like yeah this is a play called buried um 
theory you know it's just like yeah. one word um i i don't know because i you know i do this a lot too um and i just started okay i think the maybe the reason why i'm kind of starting to like this like this and if a bunch of people who do sketch comedy are listening to this uh <laughs> don't don't hate the hater uh, or <laughs> don't hate the hater i am the hater um I just started noticing that a lot of sketch teams started having just like one word on their for their mm-hmm. sketch team, mm-hmm. and then you just see it just it just it it was just like I'm really bored already. Like I get it because <laughs> it's like when you tag when you especially with social media when mm-hmm. you tag the, the your team or the show and it looks cleaner when it's like oh yeah team name performing now at blah 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 you know it's just something yeah. about a, a name so it's like it's so much look, looks cleaner on the description when it's one word yeah um oh that's really interesting i hadn't thought about that tagging so I, yeah and then i think that's why it's like influencing like the things that again it's like marketing it's all influencing the way titles or team names or whatever is being written that way just to appeal more and i'm like it looks boring it looks like mm-hmm. uh, yeah do you think yeah. it matters for your dislike of one word titles does it matter if it's an abstract word like um i don't know change <laughs> or grief <laughs> you know sadness or versus if it's concrete like something you can picture like a play called oranges or pigeons or something, you know, like, would you be, would you be more interested in a play that where it's like a thing you can visualize? If it doesn't come off pretentious then yeah. What, what would make a title come off as pretentious? All one word. <laughs> yeah. All one word. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, yeah. um, cause it's like, I don't, it, what if it's the something like the seagull? Do you don't like that title? I'm just trying to understand. The seagull. <sighs> well, <laughs> come back to me because an abstract maybe okay. I'm like now I'm just thinking of um, Lynnottage Sweat. Oh, and yeah. that kind. Of, it's also Sweat. it's like active. It's you can see it. It's visual. Right, right. Um, That's what I mean. Yeah. Okay. Like, so for example, Sweat by Lynn better, Nunn, which I haven't is, seen. Is that better than Doubt <laughs> by John Patrick Shanley? A little bit. Why? I think so. I think Doubt, For just for the record, I think Doubt is a really bad title. But I, I know a lot of people disagree. Doubt is a lot broader than Sweat. Yeah. Um... I think and it's so abstract and like isn't every play to some degree about doubt I don't know I'll have to think about that <laughs> there's at least one character that's doubting yeah <laughs> um yeah I have to think about that too or like um fences so August Wilson I think has some really good titles like I love two trains running I love gem of the ocean and then and then there's the title Fences, which once somebody once said to me, that's like naming a play Conflict. <laughs> it's like, but I mean, there are actual literal fences in the play. 
but but to me that title is kind of like doubt Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where it could be that could be the title of so many plays and it's not it doesn't feel specific um yeah or samuel beckett's play yeah yeah call a play play call a play play yeah i mean why would you do that Do you think they're just maybe there you get to a point you're just exhausted. Exhausted by titles? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I really also I really love Sheila Callahan has some good titles, like Women Laughing Alone with Salad. I think it's a really excellent title. I I actually like that title too. Women Laughing Alone with Salad. I it's such a funny image. Yeah, and it makes me think of so many commercials I've seen where there's like just this happy, alone woman and she's like, yeah, I can't wait to eat this salad. Salad. Or like yogurt commercials, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yes. And then she has a play called Crumble, Lay Me Down, Justin Timberlake. And that's another one that has punctuation in it because the second part is in um, parentheses oh which makes me think of another question i have for you sarah what do you think about when a playwright gives a play two titles like for example sarah rule has a play called in the next room comma or the vibrator play like what do you think of that when somebody gives a title and then it's like or this is it two titles or is it all one title um good question i mean because i tend to think yeah yeah go ahead and then go ahead. Well, I just tend to think that happens when a playwright like is calling something a working title in their mind mm-hmm. for a long time, and then they come up with a different title, but they don't want to get rid of the working title, and so they just decide to keep both of them. But I could be yeah. wrong. But that's just what I think. Oh, um, like uh, Mr. Burns, a post-electric play. Yeah, like that. I love that title. The post-electric play, that part or, is giving it, it's like, is it? Because it's a genre. She's like creating a genre f- for it. Yeah, that's true. Well, and then Jason Grote has a play, which I think I've talked about on here before, called Civilization or All You Can Eat. I think there's an or in there. Yeah, what do you think about that when there's an or in the title? Hmm. One, they're so indecisive. No, and that's kidding. what it seems like to me. It seems like indecis- indecisiveness. Yeah. But the thing... Okay, so in the other room, you said comma, a vibrator play? I think it's called Was in it? the next room. Oh, the next room. Comma, or the vibrator play. And I kind yeah. of think in that case... Um, that you need both of them because if you don't have the vibrator play, like you really have no idea what it's about. And I think, I think having that in there is intriguing and makes more people want to see it. But in the next room is much more kind of, I think captures the feeling or the story of the play. And so Mm -hmm. If you have both of them, they go together really nicely. Um, I think 
it's better than the alternative. In the next room is a vibrator. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool, thanks. Thanks for letting me yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, that's an interesting thing to point out is plays that have the title and the, or the title that we think it is and then a blank play. It's right. Like, when calling it out a genre or um, it's like creating a, a new type of play that you're going to see. We're going to we're playing with form here, the structure here. And this is something different or like. Or I, as a playwright, is dubbing this new kind of style. Or um, mm-hmm. so there's something about that that's kind of interesting. But if every playwright that every play that comes out is like, you know, uh, at night a lamp play, <laughs> you, know, you know, it's like if I see that every single time, then I'm, yeah. of course I'm just like, no, stop. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, here's a question for you. Would you ever... I remember you saying one time that chicken is the funniest word in the English language. So I've been Do you remember told, you said that? Okay, yeah. so would you ever write a play called Chicken, a Tragedy? <laughs> uh, <laughs> where you're telling... Yeah. You know, or something like that, where you're telling the audience what kind of genre it is right after the title. Mm-hmm. Um... I would go see that play, Chicken a Tragedy. Tragedy. Yeah, I think I would too. I think that's – it's a funny <laughs> – well, I mean, chickens, it's – unless you're in PETA, I don't know. It's like kind of the last thing you think about or uh, mm-hmm. really – it's just funny. <laughs> um, if I feel really bad for those chickens. Um, I Okay, here's another one-word title. Ibsen has a play called Ghosts, which I think is another bad title because isn't in a way every play about ghosts? <laughs> every yeah. play is about like the past haunting us yeah. in some way. Yeah. I wonder if those kinds of titles like Ghosts and Fences and like it, um, I wonder if it's just, it was just hard to pinpoint exactly what it is about this play and mm-hmm. so something just like a little more openness to it and then that um it's open to interpretation like that attitude mm-hmm. um yeah but i just think it's better to be, give us an image a concrete yeah. image but uh, obviously that's just my opinion okay here's another question for you what do you think about when a play has profanity in the title like um like, and now I'm thinking about Aaron Posner's take on the seagull, which is called Stupid Fucking Bird. Mm. Or there's a play um, that came out a couple of years ago called Pussy Sludge. What do you think about that? Um, honestly, I'm good with it if you're okay with isolating like a certain group of people, like young people. I don't know if they'll like ever teachers will ever put that on their, you know, family friendly night. <laughs> or but maybe that's good. Maybe it's a way of signaling like this play is not like, for children. Yeah, children. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that can be very useful mm-hmm. as a signal. I remember talking to somebody after I saw um, a doll's house part two, which I loved. I was talking to this, 
elderly woman who had just seen it and and I asked her what she thought of it and she really did not like the play because and her only reason for not liking it was how much profanity there was I think specifically that people said fuck a few times and like that is not a play that has a lot of profanity it's at least not that I recall I mean not that much but it was so shocking to her and I wonder if putting profanity in the title is a useful signal for people who might be bothered by that that they wouldn't like the play but was it just that one woman Good question. I don't know. Did everyone feel that way? Probably not. Because it's just like one woman that I'm like, um, okay. Good question. If the majority doesn't feel that way, then Mm -hmm. the playwright isn't going to change their entire play just for this one person. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do like the idea that it's signaling that this isn't a play for young audience. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah um yeah mm-hmm. and I it seems edgy it might it might be more attractive to like people in their 20s mm-hmm. that you have profanity in your title yeah so when you're writing a play sam mm-hmm when do you come up with the title? It really varies, but I think for several of my plays now, I've had the experience of before I even start writing anything, I have a title in my mind um, around which my ideas can crystallize. Like I have a a working title that in a way captures something I'm trying to get at. And then that title very rarely becomes the title of the play once I've written the play, but that it it is helpful for me in kind of holding a network of ideas that I'm working with. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And that it's not until I have that possible title that I can start writing, even though I know that that title's probably not gonna survive. What about you? I think early on when I would write plays um, because I did a lot of improv. And so, you know, in improv, you're like, you take a suggestion, a one word to a short phrase Mm. suggestion, and then you just like run, run on, run off with it and do a whole show based on that suggestion. Mm -hmm. So almost always it was kind of that same mentality. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to pick a word. Or pick a phrase, and I'm just gonna just start writing inspired by this, mm-hmm. um, which eighty percent of the time would not go well. Um, but I think that's kind of like where I would kind of go. But I think the same idea. It's like like we play crazy dog <laughs> came from a place of like a thing that everyone commonly thinks that Koreans do or something like a stereotype that all Koreans yeah. eat dogs. And so it's like basing basing off of that idea um that became the title. Um what about your play Monopoly? Is that one where you started with 
Like the idea mm-hmm. of the game or... Yeah, the game Monopoly. Yes. Um, and I think that's how the characters start playing. But yeah. I think the idea that I was trying to like hit home with that whole play was like the the thing about what is Monopoly. The, you know, right, right, right. I love that play. Of like the idea, the ideology behind monopolizing and the result of it and the consequences, like sort of like that. Um, See, what I think is so great about that title is it's both a physical thing you can picture, the game itself, and it's also an idea. Mm-hmm. And it's four syllables. And it's four syllables, which is really good. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, not one or two syllables, it's four. <laughs> um, yeah. I think, I think the big takeaway is that I mean, I think I notice when there's some thought put into the title. Like mm-hmm. and it's the thinking the author, the writer is thinking about the wording and the 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 sounds and the rhythm like you said. And I kind of appreciate that. Like I appreciate that the thought was kind of came into this and then okay, and it catches me and I want to know more about it. Yeah, it piques your curiosity. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of one of my all-time favorite titles is the title of a song, actually, in the, well, now musical Hades Town by Aeneas Mitchell. But when I first encountered it, it was not yet a musical. It was um, kind of a, I don't know, a collection. It was like an album. It was a collection of songs. And um, she has a song called His Kiss, comma, The Riot, which comes from a line in the song, about well, that Hades is singing about Orpheus and the line goes with his kiss the riot starts but what she did was she just took the four words from the center of that line his kiss the riot and made that the title of the song and I just remember thinking that was so cool um, because there's a relationship between those two things that you learn when you hear the song mm-hmm. um, and and I and I was thinking about that when I wrote my play Quiet Witches, and so I thought it was very clever by <laughs> basically stealing that idea um, and taking a line from my play uh, in the Quiet Witches comma, and then and then to, you know just taking the two words Quiet comma Witches, mm-hmm. um, yeah. But yeah, I think. It's it's exciting to me when I see a play and then understand the title mm. in a new way. Yeah. That like seeing the play or hearing the song actually allows me to understand what the title means in a way that I couldn't by just encountering the title alone. Mm. Yeah, I used to do this a lot and I kind of still do when I watch a play and then I'm like waiting for the title to <laughs> come up. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, when when is a seagull? When are they going to start talking about the seagull? <laughs> like, what is a yeah. seagull? I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I just do that. It's just, it's it's just like human nature to make a connection or something. Like, I want to be able to. Um, yeah, and it, it's fine. It, it never happens, but there's something like satisfying. Like, ah, cool. Like, I understand what the ring means from the movie The Ring. <laughs> it's like that big circle and from the well anyways i've never just... seen that movie oh my goodness oh i know i'm too easily scared 
it's not scary. Well, it's very, it's suspenseful. It's a thriller. I started watching movies from a very specific time, like the early aughts or something. For some reason, mm-hmm. it was just um, a very specific time. Like you get the clothes and then the, the story and the horror and all the teen um, suspense horror thriller movies. It's so specific. And then yeah. I was like, I was rewatching The Ring and I was like, I appreciate it more as an adult than I when I watch it as a high school kid. Because high school, I'm just like, I would just want the thrills and the, the screams, screams. But as an adult, I'm like, appreciate the storytelling. And I'm like, wow, this was actually a really good movie. Um, okay. I'll consider but don't watch that. it alone. Don't watch it alone. It's scary. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, okay. So um any last thoughts there was some parts that i want to talk about in the functions of a tile but i think we kind of hit a lot of that um and then everyone highly recommend reading sarah rule's book 100 essays i don't have time to write on umbrellas and sword fights parades and dogs and fire alarms children and theater um very funny title what a great title it is a great title for a book (laughs) (laughs) well okay i i do have one more thought which is that when i was first taking my very first playwriting class um in college in undergrad my professor told us to do this activity where he said write down 10 possible titles for your play and then go i don't know why he thought we could like go find a bus because we were in rural vermont but he was like go get on a bus or a train or something and ask the people around you which title they would like which of these titles is the best one which one would you go see in a theater if you had to pick one of these titles which I thought was a great idea although I've never actually done that I I, actually no that's not true at the time Uh I thought that was a bad idea because I didn't like the idea of um like a popularity contest for your title but now that I'm more mature and wiser i i think i can see the wisdom that um we all depend on popularity in marketing our plays to some extent um what do you think about that i will never go on a bus (laughs) (laughs) okay but would you go to like whole foods and ask people which title they would like the best not in LA. Like nobody wants to talk to each other in LA. That's true. And I also I think I mean this was ten years ago. I think in that ten years people have become way less comfortable talking to strangers because yeah. of the rise of the smartphone, which is maybe a whole different conversation. Yeah. Um because I'm like imagining me doing that and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna five top titles I made up i'm gonna go up to a random stranger excuse me ma'am i know you're shopping for apples right now but just a <laughs> quick second which title do you like and they'll just like look at me and like i hate you i want to leave here. please stop talking to me but people used to talk to strangers in the past not that long ago i honestly i think this is what polls are for online you know <laughs> a poll you guys on facebook is like here's a poll like Click which ones you like the best. <laughs> yeah, that would be a good way to do it too, maybe. Yeah. In the 21st century, yes. Um, That's yeah. so sad. That makes it me sad. sad. It Be sad. This is where humanity <laughs> is heading. It is not a good place. 
right. All right. Well, all right. What's your glisten, Sarah? My glisten is my arabica plant. Um, I got it from my boss over Christmas holiday. We had like a little holiday party, and he gave all his employees um, uh, a plant that he propagated to like for 10 people or 10 to 12 employees. And we all got it. And it's my first plant. That's not a succulent. Oh, wow. And and I am really impressed with myself that I have kept it this alive, knock on wood that it continues to live. Um, But I'm really impressed with myself. It's been thriving. Uh, I love it. It's a really pretty plant. I'm trying to think of like how I want to use this plant for a wedding because I want to bring it with me. But I'm trying to picture it. What does it look like? Um, it's very leafy. So when it and when it grows, I think it looks like a like a spiral tree, you know? Ooh. Like but right now it's just like little sprouts. Um I'll take a picture and I'll send it to you. Is it actually going to produce coffee beans? Yes. No, yeah, later on it'll supposedly produce like berries. And then it's the bean is inside that berry, and then you're supposed to like take yeah. the the outer outer layer off. Well, and then, I've heard that the berry itself tastes really good. I've heard that too. I think I haven't tried it. Um, I thought it's toxic for some reason. For some reason, um, maybe you have to do something to it. But I've definitely heard that. Um, I I heard Michael Pollan talking about his new book about caffeine, and he said that the coffee berry is very delicious but don't poison yourself well, i mean do some research first. <laughs> all right um so yeah when it grows i will take some of those berries and i'll give it to you sam <laughs> okay um, i look did forward you, to that did you know and maybe i heard misheard this but it takes 60 of those berries 60 beans to make a, a cup of coffee wow and it's and it's not. It's like it's. A I mean, very that makes sense because I when I grind, I grind my own coffee beans, and I guess I probably. Mm-hmm. I should count them. It's probably yeah, like sixty. Okay. Yeah, but that, that's cool. And then I don't know. Yeah. I just I <laughs> when you first met me, Sam. I don't think I I liked coffee. You know, it was kind of like a oh tea really. I forgot. Yeah. That. And I don't know. And it, as I got older, I truly appreciate the power of caffeine <laughs> yeah um and but i've been thinking about because i just heard an interview with michael Pond. i haven't actually heard his whole book which is yeah. only audiobook i think i don't think it's actually a print book but anyway um he was talking about going off caffeine for three months and how well he slept yeah. And how even 12 hours after you drink a cup of coffee, a quarter of that caffeine is still in your yep. system. And I was thinking, oh, man, maybe I should try going off caffeine, at least for a little while. It's – I – yes. Um, especially a couple of days ago, I had the worst withdrawal on coffee. Really? Caffeine, yeah. It was so bad because – you know, I was like drinking coffee almost every day and then I wasn't feeling well. So I was like, wasn't drinking coffee. And then, and then I, I just had the worst headache. Like it was just, yeah. 
I I was it, it made me so ill like I was just lying in bed thinking like oh man I'm sick again but it was just like I think my body was having a caffeine withdrawal for sure because we're so all addicted I, and we don't yeah. even realize it yeah even like a cup of coffee but the thing is it's like oh there are just days I need it I just really I just need it yeah to keep me going oh but okay well speaking of beverages my glisten is <laughs> kvass which is spelled K-V-A-S-S. It's a fermented Russian drink. And there's this guy at the farmer's market in Belfast, Maine, where I live, who sells this beet kvass. It's made out of beets. And um, I think he puts ginger in there. And it's kind of like kombucha, except it's not sweet at all and it's not carbonated. But But the idea is that you have this kind of fermented drink. And so it's full of good bacteria. And and it's not sweet? It's not sweet. It's kind of spicy and a little bit, um, I don't know. I can't really think of the the right word. It's not, it's kind of sour, but not in a really, really sour way, just mm. kind of like a tangy way. And it's so delicious and it's supposed to be really good for you. Um, and so, and now, so if I return my jar to him, he'll fill it up with more every week. And Yeah. That's hmm. my glisten. I've never heard of Beat it. Kavas. Heard of it. That's apparently it's a really it's a big thing in in Russia and Eastern Europe apparently hmm. to drink like and it's not alcoholic but it is fermented so hmm. and apparently maybe I'm digressing too much here but well okay I don't I don't don't quote me on this because I don't know how accurate this is but I think. For most of human history, people generally drank like mildly fermented things rather than plain water because it's safer. Um, the fermentation gets rid of the bad bacteria, mm. and so and so like a lot of ancient literature, like. Beowulf and the Odyssey talk about people drinking wine all the time, and it wasn't like the kind of wine we drink today where it's heavily alcoholic. It was just like mildly fermented, mm. low quantities of alcohol because that's just what people drank. But so again, many, I'm not a historian. <laughs> this could be wildly inaccurate. I'm going to say that like so many of Korean side dishes is fermented. It's fermented. Yeah. Well, and all, it's a way to preserve things preserve, without refrigeration. Yeah. 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 I think I think that's the play title right there. Fermentation. Oh ferment. my gosh. Ferment. Yeah, it would have to be ferment. Ferment. Um, ferment chicken, a tragedy. <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> Tell us your favorite titles. We want to know. Yeah. And then if you disagreed everything we just said, uh, tell us. Yeah, we want to we wanna start oh, an no. argument. Yeah. We'll keep life interesting in the winter. Yep. All right. See you next time.